and welcome back to the Learning Man, uh, gentlemen, boys. If um, if you didn't know already, this month, the month of April, is Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Um, that's why we're titling this episode "Check Your Nuts." That's right. It's an important thing, man. It, it really is important. And on today's podcast, we're going to be talking and we're going to have an intimate conversation with Mr. Mason Moore. He is an old colleague of mine that, uh, you know, just by having open and transparent conversations like we try to do on this podcast, he opened up. And I learned from Mason that he is a three-time cancer, testicular cancer survivor. You're not going to want to miss this one. And welcome back to the Learning Man Podcast. My name is Omar Cantu. I am your host. Uh, through this journey of, uh, of discovery as we uh, venture out into the wilderness and talk to other men about, um, you know, the topics that we don't necessarily feel comfortable in discussing. Um, today on the podcast, we have Mason Moore. Um Mason is out of uh, Central Florida. Um, Mason and I used to, uh, in all transparency, we used to work together uh, on the agency side many moons ago. Um, probably, oh gosh, what what was it like? Fifteen years ago. We are getting old, man. And uh, but I wanted to bring Mason on to the Learning Man primarily because he is just about like one out of. I don't know, 250 million or something like that. He's he's one of the very few men that has actually had testicular cancer three times. Now, how how a man has only two testicles and has testicular cancer three times is beyond me, Mason. But uh, <laughs> how are you doing today, man? Like, are you, how you I'm glad to have you out, man. I'm doing great. It's it's great to talk with you, Omar. And to make that even sound stranger is that I've had testicular cancer three times and I still have one testicle left. So tell me if that's not an anomaly. That that is amazing. You're the you were the one nut wonder, my friend. <laughs> yeah, they, the the nickname has been the Uniballer. So the, uni, the Uniballer. <laughs> Do you have the aviator sunglasses too? Is that I I I think I need to get the kit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great, man. So, uh, you know, I wanted to bring you on because, you know, one of the main things that, um, you know, that that we we as men, we we fail to do on a, on a regular basis is go to the doctor like we don't feel like we need to go and get checked out. And and I, I'm to blame, man. I am. I am definitely one to blame because it wasn't until, you know, um you know, getting with, uh, with, uh, with Des, you know, my partner that I, you know, that this wake up call and I, you know, it, right, right around like 35, I wasn't feeling so hot and, uh, I wanted to get checked out and I'm so glad that I did because, you know, we've got a lot of problems in our family. So I'm really excited to have you on to talk about the importance of, of early detection, going to the doctor, getting checked out, and and knowing what you know we as men are working with right yeah you know my story of testicular cancer really is the backdrop for that larger story that's men taking ownership of their health and uh, i'll talk more about my journey and what led me to understand that but you know we are we're we're almost taught as young men that you know it's almost unmanly to to go to the doctor or seek medical attention you know there's the old adage is you know walk it off tough it out rub some dirt on it and, yeah. you know, we're almost shamed in, when we seek medical attention. And that's become a real problem for men uh, of, of any age because, you know, many men end up suffering through situations much tougher than they should have been if they caught something early. And in some cases, that, that mentality has led people to die. So, you know, it, it's really something that we as men, we need to, you know, suck it up. I, I, really, I really see the courage and quote unquote, toughing it out, um, being the, having the courage and confidence to go get, get care when you need it. So, you know, it's, it's about learning your body. It's about knowing your body um, and knowing when something's abnormal or when something needs attention. Um, and so I, you know, that's the big issue. You know, that's, that's what, you know, I talk about when I speak with folks like you using my story kind of as a backdrop for that. 
Yeah, for sure. It's so, I mean, it, it, you're, you're totally right. It's so important. And, and you're also very right that, that a lot of times, I mean, it, it's basically, you know, and, and, and I always thought, I always thought kind of growing up, well, I would say, I would say probably, you know, in my twenties, I thought, okay, well, it's, uh, it's probably because I'm Hispanic, right? It's probably because, and even though we had insurance, it's like, it's like, you know, whatever, doesn't matter, you know, as a minority, we know that, you know, uh, minorities are more, uh, more prone to not going to the doctor. And I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but that's also in the African-American community as well as the Hispanic community. And, uh, and, and, you know, I always thought, well, you know, it's, you know, if, if I'm not dying, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. You know? And so like, that's usually the mentality but a lot of times, you know, what we need to realize is that, you know, it's important to to get checked out in in, in in all sense, right? So it's not just it's not just about cancer, it's about, you know, depression, anxiety, uh, you know, anything that that may, you know, um, you know, lessen the quality of life, you know, for for us men, you know in any way, whatever it is, whether it be, you know, having a a shorter life expectancy or just not being able to be, you know, tip top every single day, we should probably go and get that checked out. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not to be a complete total hypochondriac, you know, it's not, I'm not, I'm not saying that you should run to the ER, the doctor, every time you have a scratch or a sniffle, but it's about learning your body, learning how your body operates and knowing, knowing when something isn't right. I mean, and then having, like I said, the courage and the confidence to go have it checked out. You know, that, that's really what it's about. It's about learning your body, becoming in tune with your body. Um, and, and that will benefit you in, in more ways than you can even imagine. So, you know, that, that's re- really the root of it is we have been t- almost taught to ignore what's going on with our health. In fact, we need to become better in tune with it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so we met, we met over at, um, Oh hell, we can say it. We're both not there anymore. Uh, we met at, at at an ad agency uh, right near Lake Eola is where the office was. It was called Fryham and Bar. Um, it was my, you know, I had been I had been in the professional, you know, a, a young professional at the time for a little bit. Uh, you're a couple years older than me, so you know, at the time I really looked up to you. You know, you were in the PR department. I was in the uh, in the uh, in the experiential you know, advertising, not back then we just called it non-traditional marketing, uh, promotions kind of stuff. And, uh, that was my first gig on the agency side. And I was kind of like, kind of feeling it through and, and you, you were, you, um, before I even knew what a mentor was, man, you kind of, you know, you were, you were kind of closer in age and you were this cool dude, you know, and, and, (laughs) uh, and, yeah. And so like, I, I kind of looked up to you to be honest. And, um, I had no effing clue, man, that you had just gone through the, you know, the whole cancer scare. And, you know, at the time, I didn't even know I was talking to a guy that only had one nut. I mean, I pro- I shouldn't have looked up to you as much as I did because, you know, I you weren't even put together. No. Yeah, you're right. I, uh, I joined Brian <laughs> Bar in, in 2005. And yeah. uh, my, my cancer journey really starts in December of 2002, so just a few years before that. So um, it was in December of 2002. I was 28 years old. I was fit. Career was off to a great yeah. start. Um, felt pr- pretty indestructible, as you do when you're 28 and kind of ignorant still. And more importantly, I was a month away from getting married. So in January of, of uh, 2003, I was to get married. So uh, very early on in the month, that month of December, um, I was feeling really tired, really run down. And I kind of just wrote it off. You know, I'm like, I've got a lot going on with work. I'm planning a wedding. Um, it just probably has to do with all of that. And then as the month went on a little bit further, that, that tired feeling, that run down feeling got worse. Um, I started to have somewhat of a, a dull ache in, in my groin area. And then uh, one day in the shower, I just happened to stumble upon because I knew I knew nothing about self-examination. I found a lump on my left testicle. Wow. And where did you feel it? Like, did you, I mean, wh- like you said that you were feeling kind of sore in your groin area. Was it actually like on the inner th- part of the thigh? Was it like above like where the pubic bone is? I mean, where it, exactly? It was actually... It was actually in the scrotum, and I, I will say okay. this: pain, pain in the scrotum or pain in the testicle um, 
doesn't have to be a symptom of testicular cancer. You can have testicular cancer without that symptom. Uh, I did not know that then. Um, the, the, the issue was at that time, I knew nothing about testicular cancer. You know, we're not taught about this in school. You know, again, I, I was brought up with, you know, the idea that, you know, hey, if it, if it ain't broke or if you don't have if you're not if you don't have blood, it's, it's not an issue. Um, I was writing it off to, you know, to being you know tired from from work and planning a wedding. But when I felt the lump on my testicle, I was like, OK, I'm not sure if that's been there all along or not. I'm not quite sure what it is. So I even let it go a little bit further. Um, which was my mistake. So finally, on January 7th of 03, um, which was just happened to be 11 days before I was to get married, uh, I said, you know what, just for peace of mind, let me go to my primary, primary care doctor, have them check this out, tell me it's nothing, I'll go on my way. So I go to my primary care doctor on January 7th, 03. Um, he very quickly uh, sends me to a urologist who then very quickly uh, runs an ultrasound. Um, and I'm being told... Uh, literally a day later um, that I'm having to have surgery to remove my left testicle because of the possibility that I have testicular cancer. So on January 10th uh, is when I got that news. January 14th, four days before my wedding, I had surgery to remove my left testicle. Um, and they biopsied it immediately. And I found out that I, in fact, did have a testicular cancer. So uh, certainly changed the tone of the wedding. Uh, certainly led to a uh, an abbreviated and somewhat uneventful honeymoon, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, came came back came back from that and uh, immediately went on short term disability and started uh, the chemotherapy regimen that's uh, necessary for for testicular cancer. Uh, I was stage two A, and so I started a chemo regimen called BEP. Those are acronyms for the type of chemo drugs that are used. Um, very intense, very debilitating, uh, wouldn't have worst, uh, wished it on my worst enemy. Um, got through that. Um, blood tumor markers had gotten back to normal, and I began my life as a cancer survivor. Um, and so from there, I started to get really involved with cancer organizations, did some fundraising work for Livestrong Foundation, which is right in your backyard in Austin, right. worked, worked with a couple of other organizations. And then... Um, Further on down the road, almost 10 years later, um, I got involved with an organization called Testicular Cancer Foundation, which also happens to be a headquartered right there in your uh, backyard of Austin. And I joined their speakers bureau. And so I would then start to uh, go on speaking engagements around Central Florida with uh, middle schools, high schools, colleges, uh, talking to where there would be young men about testicular cancer, raising awareness for testicular cancer, raising awareness for the need of young men to self-examined because what I found out through this process as I educated myself, something that I did not know when I was starting this, is that testicular cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in men ages 15 to 34. Um, so, you know, that's a pretty staggering stat when you think about it, that it's the most commonly diagnosed cancer in young men. We were never taught that in school. We didn't know anything about it. Uh, I, I certainly didn't. So, uh, I wanted to raise awareness for that fact and the fact that uh, men uh, in those age, in that age range, starting as young as 15, need to do monthly self-examinations. Um, Testicular Cancer Foundation has a lot of great information on their website about how to do the self-examination, and they have a ton of other great resources as well. So I was very proud to go speak on their behalf and use kind of my story as the backdrop. And I would talk about uh, the story of me not acting quickly enough, me not knowing enough, and actually end up having to go through a, matru a much rougher time uh, than I needed to had I caught it earlier. And so that was uh, kind of the, the springboard for the discussion about men needing to take ownership of their health. So did that for several years, started a family, the career continued to blossom, things were going well. Um, and then fast forward 15 years to February 2018, um, I was at a local networking event here in the Orlando area, a uh, luncheon, you know, the typical chicken and rice luncheon for networking uh, business event. And uh, was overcome with a just. And this this is this is fifteen years later. Fifteen years later, yeah. So it, this is where the story gets really interesting, and where I really had to then start practicing what I was preaching all those years. Um, I'm at this luncheon, and I'm overcome with just a debilitating pain, uh, really kind of lower chest, upper abdomen. I mean, the pain was so severe it had me doubled over at the table. So um, I get up and leave this luncheon, go out into the parking lot, and I'm faced with the decision, is this something normal? Did I pull a muscle, you know, during a workout or, or is it just, you know, some, some oddity? Should I just try to drive home or does this need to be checked out? 
And so I had to think, okay, Mason, practice what you preach. What have you been telling all of these young men as you go and speak um, what to do? This certainly doesn't feel normal. So I did something that I would have historically never done. I got on my phone, searched for uh, the nearest urgent care uh, location, and uh, there happened to be a, a hospital emergency room about a mile and a half away. So I drove myself to the emergency room. Um, so that was the first instance of me saying, okay, I have to take ownership of the situation, take ownership of my health. And I'm glad I did. Uh, when I got there, they started to run every test known to man. They were running urinalysis. They were running uh, certain types of blood work. They did x-rays. They could not figure out why I was in pain. In the meantime, they're giving me every pain medication they've got and nothing's working. The nurse came back to me and said, Mr. Moore, we've given you enough pain medication to put down an elephant. So we have no idea why you're still in pain. So they're trying to figure out what's going on. The ER doctor comes into me and says, Mr. Moore, you know, we're, we're still struggling to figure out what's going on with your situation. Um, I know about your history with testicular cancer from 15 years ago. And while it would be extremely rare for someone to have a recurrence of testicular cancer 15 years later, let's just do a CT scan and make sure there's nothing, you know, let, let, let's rule that out. So they do a CT scan. And lo and behold, when they do that CT scan, they find a one centimeter nodule on my right lung. So thank goodness for that doctor's foresight. Um, you know, we still really don't know to this day what was causing the pain. Luckily, I had the pain and it drove me to the emergency room because uh, what we later found out um, was something that uh, would not have actually caused me to go. So what I mean by that was they decided to keep me overnight at the hospital because they wanted to biopsy that nodule. So they keep me overnight. Uh, they biopsy the nodule. Four days later, they call me back and they say, Mr. Moore, we've, we've got the results from your biopsy of the nodule. You have squamous cell carcinoma of the lung. Um, this is not your cancer from uh, 15 years ago. It's a new form of cancer. So I'm thinking, oh, great. Now I've had two different types of cancers in my life. Wow. <laughs> How lucky am I? Um, and that was a cancer that's almost always associated with smoking. I've never smoked a day in my life. So I was thoroughly confused. And they said, but the good news is, is that we've caught it early. Um, you're not going to need any form of chemotherapy or radiation or anything like that. But we're going to have to remove the middle lobe of your right lung. I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's encouraging. So um, in wow. March of 2018, uh, the hospital system that I was a part of there for, for that ER visit, I just continued on with them. Um, they robotically removed the middle lobe of my right lung. And luckily, the middle lobe of your right lung, while it's technically the largest, it actually has the, the, the smallest impact on your ability to breathe and your aerobic ability. So I lucked out in that regard, if there's any left to be involved in this situation, I guess. And, so, and how, big of, how big of a section is that? Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's the, you have three lobes in your right lung, and it's the largest of the three. Oh, wow. Okay. So more, maybe a little bit more than a third of, of the lung was, was taken out. Um, so at that like, point, after but in terms of, is that like the size of a baseball size of a, a softball? I mean, you know, I'm not quite sure. And, you know, in relation yeah. to that, but you know, just, you know, figure if, you, if you've got three equal parts, you know, potentially in your lung. Um, and if they're, if they're, if there's one larger than the other, it's the largest of the three. Right. Um, and, and so at that, at that point had, had the nodule, like had it, had it grown to that size or were they just being safe? So they decided to take the whole, that whole chunk. Because of where it was located within the nod, within the lobe, the only way they could get to it to remove it was to pull out the entire lobe. So that's why the lobe had to, to be pulled out. The nodule itself was still one centimeter. But when I mentioned earlier that this would not have brought me to the ER typically is that um, this type of lung cancer that uh, they thought I had, which I'll, I'll talk later about why thought is the word there, um, would have not caused any symptoms. So it wouldn't have caused symptoms until it was too late. They said, Mr. Moore, if this had continued to grow, um, you would have not displayed any symptoms until you're probably stage three or four, and then we'd be having a different discussion. So call it divine intervention, call it whatever you want. That pain that I suffered that day drove me to the ER. We still don't know the cause of that pain, but it, it, it in effect caused me to have that CT scan to discover the nodule. So after they remove the lobe of the lung, I then go on uh, what they call a surveillance. So I have to go in periodically for a CT scan, chest X-ray, and there's some blood work involved. Um, all along, they're still thinking this is not the original cancer from 03, that it's a new form of cancer. So 
Fast forward about nine months later, I go in for the next round of surveillance. And when they do the, the CT scan, um, it's back. It's right near the surgery line of where they remove the middle lobe, but this time in the upper lobe. So right where the upper lobe meets the middle lobe. Mm. And th- this time it's bigger. It's, it's, it's like two or three centimeters. So it's a little faster growing. So again, we're, we're all kind of confused as to what's happening. Um, they say, okay, well, Mr. Moore, we, we need to biopsy it again. We want to, you know, uh, make sure we know what we're dealing with here. So they biopsy this one this time and they come back and they say, well, interestingly enough, this is showing characteristics of potentially being your original cancer from 15 years ago. They said those characteristics are very similar to the ones for what we originally diagnosed you with uh, nine months prior. So we are a little inconclusive right now. So we need to send it off to some other places. So they sent it off to uh, four very reputable nationally recognized cancer institutes for them to biopsy as well. They all came back definitively that this was a recurrence of my cancer from 2003. It was testicular cancer. Um, and that's what I'd had all along with the, the first recurrence in 2018. Wow. So, uh, so you know, little bit of a misdiagnosis there, but not really because the characteristics are very similar. Um, so at that point, I'm now faced with a whole different, you know, approach. They, we have to go back to the testicular cancer approach. So at that point, I'm faced with my next uh, chance to take ownership of my health. Um, and that's navigating the system. And so I'd been a part of that hospital system from the emergency room visit, had not involved my previous oncologist, oncologist at that point. I did at that point. I got my previous oncologist involved, brought him up to speed. Um, and so those two systems were working together. They, uh, my, my original oncologist then made the decision that I needed to go to another facility for treatment because my case was so unique. Mm-hmm. So sent me to a, a really, really renowned cancer center here in the state of Florida, one of the leading, if not leading cancer uh, research centers and treatment centers in, in our state. And um, it was at that time that I was told that um, I was stage four and that I would have probably a 25 to 35% chance of surviving five years, but that they were going to do their best to treat me for cure. So I then had to uh, do chemo again, this time with a much, uh, more potent uh, cocktail of chemo drugs. Um, the, the, the cycles and the phases were, were very much the same, but the, the potency, uh, it, was, it was a lot tougher. So that first uh, round of chemo that I did in 03 that I thought was so bad, um, it was nothing compared to what I went through in, in uh, the early part of 2019. Um, and so started the chemo regimen. It was an inpatient regimen where I would go in for to the hospital for six days, and I was on a drip of some form from an IV 24 hours a day for six days. They would give me two weeks off to recover, and then I would start over again. I was originally prescribed to do four of those cycles. So we started Extremely off- Extremely aggressive. Right? Yeah, yeah. So so uh, we, we, we go through the, the, the first couple cycles, and great news is it's working. My, my tumor markers, which there's a specific tumor marker to testicular cancer, there's actually two that they monitor for. Um, they had had come down. They were dropping dramatically. The mass that was on the on the upper lobe was shrinking. So all was good. By the end of the third cycle, um, which you know, and mind you, I just feel like hell at this point. <laughs> you know, the, the the chemo is really kicking my butt. At the end of the third cycle, uh, my tumor marker, primary tumor marker that we're measuring, um, is in with, within normal range. It's practically zero. So that's great news. But the mass had stopped growing. So uh, it was it was stagnant. So uh, the the place where I was receiving the treatment, that renowned cancer center, um, their recommendation was, well, Mr. Moore, you know, we want you to come in for a fourth cycle, and if the uh, mass hasn't shrunk uh, at the end of that fourth cycle, our recommendation will be to go in and remove the, what's what remains of your right lung. So I, th- I was going to be faced with not having a right lung at all at that point. So, you know, we, my, my wife and I were, were, were faced with some very difficult discussions. Uh, I had done a lot of research, obviously, on, on what was happening to me. And one of the things that struck me was potential, the potential that what was showing up on the CT scan with the mass um, could be dead tissue. It could be scar tissue. So I, I went back to the doctors and I said, hey, is there a possibility that this tissue is necrotic, which means basically dead? And they said, yeah, that's, that's a possibility. Um, you know, but they said better safe than sorry, we should move forward with the plan. 
I said, so I then I asked them a second question. I said, well, if this is indeed still cancerous, wouldn't a PET scan, which is a different type of scan than a CT scan, wouldn't a PET scan show that? Because basically how a PET scan works kind of in layman's terms is that is if something that shows up on the PET scan is cancer, it shows up as quote unquote being hot. Mm-hmm. And I said, so if we did a PET scan and that showed up as hot, we would know that it was cancer. If it wasn't hot, there's a high potential that it's just scar tissue. So they said, okay, yeah, that's actually not a bad idea. So let's, let's do a PET scan. So they do the PET scan. It doesn't come back hot. It's showing cold basically. So, um, so, and what, what gave you that idea? Did you do like your own research? Did you talk to other doctors? Like, how did you come to that conclusion? To- it was, it was, it was a couple of things. Number one, just doing a ton of research. You know, um, the, the internet is a double-edged sword when you're dealing with something like this. There's a ton of great information out there that you can educate yourself on, but you can also scare the, scare yourself to death at, at the same time. Um, so I've done a lot of research and, and just, you know, again, trying to get a grasp on the situation, getting a grasp on what's happening in my body, uh, trying to practice what I preach of taking ownership of myself, both physically and mentally. Um, so I made that suggestion. It came back as being uh, dead tissue. Um, they were still recommending, uh, you know, what they originally recommended. So I think to myself, I say, okay, well, the first place that removed the middle lobe of my lung, which was the, the first healthcare system, could do it robotically. Um, and I, so I went back to that surgeon and I said, hey, here's my situation. Here's what I'm dealing with. Can you get to this mass robotically without having to take out my entire right lung so that we can biopsy this thing? He said, yeah, absolutely, I can. So I then forced the original healthcare system with my original oncologist from way back in 03 and then this third system to then start to work together, which in some cases they compete against each other. So to get these three systems working together, while it's not unheard of, it, you know, it's certainly not something that, that everyone thinks to do. So I then have that surgeon that did my first lung surgery uh, do what's called a wedge resection on the upper lobe of my right lung so that they could get, luckily, the, 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 the mass was in a space where they could get to it without having to take out the entire lobe. So they do what's called a wedge resection, which is basically where they're just cutting around it so they can pull it out. They pull it out. They immediately biopsy it. They send it off to all of the other places that had biopsied it the last time. All four came back. It's scar tissue. It's dead tissue. There's no presence of cancer in your body. Wow. So at that at that point, I then avoided the fourth cycle of chemo, and I avoided losing my entire right lung. So you know, I was forced. You know, really three different occasions through these recurrences, basically have, by looking out for yourself, essentially. Yeah, and you know, it's not to say you're supposed to question everything the doctors say, uh, or or you know, be a pain in the ass with them. Although I have no problem being a pain in the ass when it comes to my own life, but you also have to educate yourself. That's part of the taking ownership process. And, you know, I'm no brain surgeon when it comes to this stuff. You know, I, I'm, I'm not any smarter about any of this stuff than anyone else. Uh, you know, while I consider myself smart and what you and I do professionally from a marketing standpoint, when it comes to healthcare, I'm not a doctor, but you know, the, the blessing of the internet is that you can, you know, anyone has access to it. If you, if you have a device, you can access the internet. You can go on and do research. And that's what I did. And I was, I was, uh, tireless about doing it. And so that's how I was able to educate myself and ask the right questions. Um, and as a patient, uh, you know, it's your right to ask questions. A lot of people will go into the healthcare setting um, and, and be afraid to ask questions, uh, take what's being told to them as gospel and, and just kind of roll with it. Um, and again, not saying that you're going to be a pain, but at the same time, be educated enough to know that you can ask a question when you need to and what the appropriate question is to ask. Right. Um, so again, taking ownership of my health, um, you know, uh, knock on wood, uh, this month actually represents four years for me. So that, that 25 to 35% chance of surviving five years, I'm 90% of the way there. Um, you know, and it's something, it's something that, thank you very much. It's, it's, it's something that I think about every day though. You know, uh, you know, I, I thought about it a lot the first time back in 03, but I did reach a point where I didn't think about having cancer every day. Um. I think about it every day now and both in positive and negative ways. Um, and that's part of being a survivor. You know, I, I, I said someone uh, to someone the other day that uh, survivorship is, is a badge of honor, in my opinion. You know, the, the, the physical and the mental scars that we have are proof point of, of how we fought. Um, mm-hmm. But with the survivorship comes responsibility. 
the responsibility to honor those who aren't survivors any longer. Um, and to also raise awareness for, for uh, you know, our type of cancer, for the need for men and women, for that matter, to take ownership of their health um, so that, you know, we can all fulfill, you know, uh, the great lives that we've all been blessed to have. Um, I wanted you know, my motivation through all of it was a wife and daughter. You know, I wasn't ready to leave them here without me. Um, there were too many milestones in both of their lives uh, that, that I wanted to be here for. And so on the darkest days of chemo, you know, when I just felt like, you know, saying, kill me now, um, they were always in the back of my mind. They kept me going, you know. So it's, it's, it's really about, you know, finding that motivation point. Uh, I was lucky that I had a great support system. Mom, dad, stepmom, wife, daughter, friends, they had my back. Um, and, you know, our mantra was, we got this. Uh, and it, that was it the first time. And it was that it was the second and third time as well. But, you know, there are great organizations out there for people who don't have support systems, people who might be fighting this alone. Um, there are great organizations like Testicular Cancer Foundation and, and other organizations related to whatever you may be dealing with that can provide the support that you need. That's great. That's great. So I've got so many questions. I didn't want to interrupt you because, you know, your story is so is so interesting. It's incredible. Um so during that entire time, well, I guess let's go back to the very first, uh, the first time that you kind of discovered that nodule, right? That, you know, you're in the shower, it's 2003, um, you're, you're getting ready to go to, uh, you know, you're getting ready to get married pretty soon. What, I mean, what did, what did it feel like exactly? Does it, is, does it feel like a raised pea area? Does it feel like, and that's pea as in, you know, the vegetable, not yeah. you know the urine. Um, but how, what did what did it like? Did it feel rough? I mean, what what was it like? It felt like about the size of a BB. Um, not quite, not quite as hard or the consistency of a BB, but it had a little bit of a hardness to it. But you know, really, you know, one of the things that uh, Testicular Cancer Foundation really promotes a lot is men doing monthly self-examinations. And if you're doing a self-examination of your testicles, you're looking for lumps, bumps, uh, ridges, uh, hard areas, those types of things. Those are the symptoms uh, that, that you'll find when you're doing a self-examination. I happened to find a lump or a bump, uh, and it was about the size of a BB with a somewhat firm consistency. Um, and, you know, here's the thing. When I felt that, you know, I wasn't a guy who walked around rubbing his balls all the time. So I didn't know if it, if it was supposed to be there or not, quite honestly. I mean, because right. I didn't know anything about testicular cancer, which is a huge gap. The fact that young men aren't taught about it, um, with it being the most prevalent cancer in, in young, men, young men's ages, um, that's a huge gap. And so uh, even when I felt it the first time, I didn't immediately act. Wow. Okay. And so, okay, so fast, fast forward, you... Um you, it's the second time that you're, you're going through this and you're having to go through all the chemo and, and, you know, you're, you're, you have, you know, it, it can't be easy because I mean, you know, and how do you break that news to, to your wife and your daughter and everything, you know, like that, that must've been heart wrenching. Right. But I mean, how did you, how did you deal with, I guess, like the, the emotional side of it? How did you deal with the, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure you must've gone into, you know, you know, had, had down days too, man. I, I'm sure you must've gone through depression, all that kind of stuff. Like, how did you kind of like wrestle with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you that, um, being told that you have cancer one time is a life altering situation or occurrence. Um, it's, it's something that, you know, will, will stick with you for the rest of your life. Um, and then once you've thought you've beaten this disease um, and you now hear it for a second and a third time, um, I was completely blindsided. You know, the feelings of shock, confusion, um, fear, um, they were all back, but with uh, even greater significance, you know, the second and third time around. Um, and, and you're right. There's, there's such a wide range of emotions that, that hit you initially. You know, you've got fear, you've got anger, you've got confusion, um, you know, being, you know, given the uh, proverbial slap in the face of being told that you're stage four and that, you'll, you you know, there's maybe a one in four chance that you'll survive five years. You know, at that point, you know, we're having conversations about my mortality. Um, and, you know, at that time, I'm 44, 45 years old. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that's, that's a tough thing. You know, I had a 10 year old daughter at home at the time. 
um, we had to tell her. She knew that I had cancer way before she was born. My daughter was born in 07. And so she really know, knew nothing about it. She just knew her dad had cancer one time. But this time I have a 10-year-old daughter that I have to explain to what's going on um, and, and, and put on a brave face and give her confidence that everything's going to be okay. Uh, and that was tough. But then, you know, moving forward, um, you know, the physical side of this has been treated phenomenally. I'm, I'm, I'm back stronger than I've ever been. There's really nothing that I can't do that I could do before physically. So the, the physical side of it, um, while I have some lingering minor things that bug me, nothing major. The mental and emotional side of it, though, has uh, lingered on quite longer. You know, I have battled depression on multiple times and multiple occasions uh, post-treatment, uh, these, these second and third times that were going around. Um, and that's a huge gap, not just in cancer survivorship, but that's a huge gap in our healthcare system. And, and this is just my opinion. This, this is Mason's opinion, but um, that truly is a huge gap in the uh, American healthcare system right now in that we don't treat mental health and physical health, A, the same, but B, don't link them. You know, there's plenty of data out there, plenty of studies out there that talk about how intricately connected men mental and physical health are and how one impacts the other. But we don't treat them the same. We don't have benefits the same. And so, you know, uh, I dealt with all of the, the depression, the fear, uh, you know, of, of recurrence or everything that might have happened um, kind of in a vacuum. Uh, you know, I was treated by phenomenal doctors, nurses, other clinicians for the physical side of this. But not one time in the 21 years that I've been going through this has anyone talked to me about the mental side of it. And so, you know, that, you know, and, and if you think about being a cancer survivor, physically, you know, you can be treated, you can be cured, you may have some, some lingering effects afterward, but it's the emotional side that you have to get over I that mean, probably sure. hangs I mean, around a long time. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you must be going through some sort of, some sort of, PTSD from the entire situation because it's, it's, you know, it's very traumatic, you know, and you know, that, that in itself, unfortunately in this country, unfortunately in this country, we have a tendency of treating the symptoms and, and not the prevention. Yeah. I, that, that really is probably true on both the physical and mental side of health, quite honestly. Right. Um, it, it's a, it's a reactive approach. Um, and I, I, I think that's, you know, a problem. With, with our healthcare system, but mental health certainly does not get the same level of attention or even the level of benefit um, that physical health does. And uh, they're just so intricately connected, like I said earlier, and they, they really should be treated in tandem and treated together um, with the same level of attention. Um, and if that had been the case with my case, for instance, um, maybe I wouldn't have gotten depressed or maybe I would have been better equipped to deal with the depression than I was. Um, but again, like I said, 21 years as a cancer survivor, I think is where I'm at right now. Um, that's never been discussed with me in a clinical setting ever. That is, that is wild. So it's, it's like, you're, you know, we joke that you're one in 250 million. It, it kind of sounds like that, you know, with the, this type of situation. Yeah. Um, my, my situation is extremely rare, you know, uh, go, just kind of going back to, to testicular cancer in general is that, you know, um, it is, like I said, it's the most, commonly diagnosed cancer in, in uh, males ages 15 to 34. But if it's caught early, meaning stage one, it's 99% beatable. It's one of the high, mo most highly treatable forms of cancer there is. And so the, the chances are, if, if you're diagnosed with testicular cancer and it's caught early, you're going to go through treatment. You're going to be able to live a normal life after that. Um, but you still deal with you know, the, the mental effect that it may have had on you, um, you know, moving forward. So, okay. So you, you mentioned, you mentioned this, the, the last time, the third time that you, you went through this, that they prescribed to you an extremely aggressive chemotherapy, you know, treatment. Um, they initially were going to give you four rounds of this, of this, you know, six days, you know, six days on, what was it? Two weeks off or something. Yeah. 24 seven round the clock testing and solid chemo, check yourself into a hospital, go through hell and try to recoup for, you know, two weeks, you know, and then go do it right back again. So, you know, you're going through this entire situation. What was, I mean, 
you know, because as men, you know, we have to think we have we we always and I'm guilty of this. I really am guilty of this where I'm like, you know what? You know, um, the yard can wait, man. Um, you know, the yard can wait or, you know, uh, you know, uh, I need to go to the doctor or I have, you know, therapy or whatever it is. Anything that's going on at home. I am guilty of saying, you know what, that's going to have to wait because I have to focus on work. I have to go and focus on my career. I have to make sure that my job is secure, that I'm still making money to, to contribute to the household, that, that, um, that I'm doing everything that I can, working as hard as I can, making myself valuable to the company so that way I can eventually grow, grow in, you know, in, the, in the organization, right? As men, we are so focused on on career or you know being career oriented and just the work what whatever we do it's the it's all about the work and being um you know contributing to a household so with you during that period i mean at like i'm sure you had to take a step back right you had to make make a a break in your head to to take a step back and say hey i need to focus on me right now i need to focus on you know, making sure that I'm getting the treatment that I need. So that way I can, I can be here for the future. What was that kind of like that, that, that mind, that, that shift in mindset for you? Yeah. You know, I probably landed somewhere in the middle. It certainly did and has changed my perspective on, on what's important in life. And so to your, to your point, there are things that probably would have taken priority for me um, that maybe now aren't as important and maybe can wait. You know, the yard can wait or washing the truck can wait, that kind of stuff. You know, I want to spend more time with my daughter because who knows how much time I have, right? But one one mistake I probably made is after uh, I came, I finished chemo, had my lung surgery on that, that third occurrence. Um, I had gone on short-term disability. Luckily, I had a my employer at the time had a great short-term disability plan, and so I was able to keep revenue coming in to keep the household afloat while I was going through treatment. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, as soon as I'm physically able, I've got to get back to work full-time. Got to get the full-time money coming in because short-term disability only pays a certain percentage. I've got to get back to the grind. Plus, I'm thinking, you know, that'll prove to myself mentally that I'm back. So I can get back to work. I can I can right. start bringing that, in that full, full income. Back, right? Yeah, yeah. There's 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 a, there's a mental aspect to that. I probably came back too soon, um, and 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 physically and mentally had not inventoried myself enough to really know if I was ready to go back to it or not. And I think that's probably what led me to some depression that I suffered down the road is that I wasn't ready to go back, but I threw myself back into it because I actually leaned on that old adage of like, hey, man, get back in the game, you know, rub some dirt on it. Let's 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 get back to get back to normal. And so that did take hold for a little while. And I probably jumped back into the grind a little too soon, maybe when I wasn't either physically or mentally prepared for it. Um and so that has caused me to change perspective too. Now, from a career standpoint, I certainly want to continue to be able to provide for my family and, you know, uh, elevate my career. Uh, but at the same time, I know the types of settings and environments that I want to be in now. I know the types of jobs and roles that I want to have now. Um, I haven't fought cancer three times to be in a job or a career that I'm miserable in. So, you know, I, I, I now am very prescriptive in what I do professionally. Um, and that continues to evolve. Um, and so uh, that, that has been something that has definitely been an eye opener, eye opener for me during this process is to say, okay, Mason, you need to put yourself in situations for things that make you happy. At the end of the day, we really should be waking up every day feeling blessed that we've woken up another day, but then trying to accomplish something during that day that makes us happy. And if we're lucky, it makes us better. I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, I would almost, I would almost want to end it right there because I feel like that is so important. And, uh, I feel like that, that could be an episode by itself. I mean, just like, just talking about, you know, not feeling fucking miserable every day at work, you know, just like enjoying what you do and, and also feeling like, feeling like, like what you're doing is actually giving back, right? It's building something for, for someone else. Right. Um, yeah. I, I just then sorry to to pause you there, but you know, yeah, um, that's that, that's exactly it. I want to feel like I'm having a positive impact. I want to feel like I'm moving the needle in the areas that are important to me, 
And that's why um, after a break from my speaking uh, during COVID, you know, I was, I was actually recovering during COVID at the same time. So I wasn't doing a lot of speaking engagements, obviously, but it's been just recently that I've started to kind of get back out there again and tell my story, tell my journey, talk about uh, men taking ownership of their health, talking with folks like you, because it a makes me happy. So there's a selfish element to it because it makes me happy to talk about it because I'm proud of my fight. But at the same time, it's helping raise awareness. It's helping make an impact. It's, if one person hears your podcast today and checks themselves and finds something and gets to their doctor and they can be treated, then I've, it's mission accomplished from my standpoint. And so that, that really is the focus of my life right now is to try to do the things that A, make me happy and B, make an impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, um, you know, I, you know, we've got, we've got a few minutes left. I, I, I want to, you know, respect the, your, your good Friday with your family. Um, but I want, I want to, I'd like to ask you one final question. And that question is if you could go back in time and talk to, you know, 15 year old Mason, what would you tell him? I would tell him very early on to focus on the things that make you happy, focus on things that can make an impact. And I would have him get over some of that, um, you know, uber masculinity that we're all taught as young men, you know, to, 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 so that when I was 28 and I discovered something, um, I wasn't so ignorant to what I was dealing with. Um, again, you know, when I was 28 and I was going through that in December of 20, uh, 20, 2002, I should say, pardon me. Um, you know, A, I didn't know what I was dealing with and B, I was like, ah, it's, 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 it's just normal. It's nothing to worry about. It'll come and go. Um, that wasn't the right mentality. And I ended up being stage two instead of stage one, you know, which meant, you know, a, a harder regimen. Um, and it may be the reason why it came back 15 years later, you know, because it was a little stronger version of the cancer than if I'd caught it sooner. Um, you know, my, my case, I, and I'll close on that too, because, you know, one thing I don't want to do is, is scare people also with my story. My story and my recurrences are extremely rare. Um, you know, typically if you're going to have a recurrence from testicular cancer, it happens within the first five years, more so in the first two years. To have one 15 years later is very, very rare. Um, my, my doctors are still baffled by my situation. Um, but And to also know, have, have the exact same cancer move to another location. So, you know, when we think about testicular cancer, we all, you know, we automatically assume, oh, well, it went from one nut to the other nut, right? And 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 now is a eunuch. No, in this particular case, it went to your lung, you know, and and it and it also got misdiagnosed the the the, the second time. Yeah, you know, the 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 trail that it follows, um, like most cancers, it moves up the body. So of course it starts in your your scrotum. The next place that it goes is to the lymph nodes in your abdomen. Then it moves from there to your lungs. And then uh, if it continues to progress, if the disease continues to progress, it goes to your brain. Um, what was very interesting about mine, not only it being 15 years later, was the fact that it skipped a region. Mm. It was in my lung, which, you know, we, we kind of think, you know, potentially when I had it in 03, um, that we know it had invaded the testicle, obviously, because we found that. We're pretty sure it had, it had invaded the lymph nodes. Um, maybe it had progressed up to the lung and I, did it hang out dormant for 15 years? That sounds ludicrous, quite honestly. And it's what causes all the confusion with my case. Um, and we, we really don't know. Uh, my, my oncologist that I see today that I go to for my regular check-ins uh, every six months still doesn't, can't really explain it. But, um, you know, it, it certainly was a unique case. But I, I will go back to what I said earlier is that if this disease is caught early, it's one of the most highly treatable forms of cancer there is. There's a 99% cure rate if it's caught early. And so that's why self-examination for young men is so important. You need to do it every month. Go to testicularcancer.org, get the instructions on how to do it, talk to the guys at Testicular Cancer Foundation, um, because if you catch it early, you can beat it. That's great. Well, Mason, thank you so much. I, I think I, this, this is this, this, I didn't know what to expect, you know, when we're, you know, when, I, when, uh, when we decided that we were going to, we were going to do this, but this has been so informative. It's been fantastic. Um, you know, I mean, you know, 
I honestly, before we met, I was a little nervous because, you know, we're talking about our nuts here. But, you know, so, I mean, that, that's one thing. And and also, that's that's also a lesson, right? We got to get over it. We got we to gotta be able to talk about it, right? Yeah, you know, I was the same way, you know, certainly when this first happened back in 03. But um, after, you know, several doctor's appointments of them, you know, rubbing those areas and scanning those areas and everything, um, vanity soon goes out the window. And so, you know, I've become very comfortable talking about it because it's a something that I do, you know, I'm part of a speaker's bureau and I speak about it. But to your point, we as men, um, as part of that journey of taking ownership of our health, we have to feel confident enough to speak about these issues. It can't be something that's taboo or passe. um, If you have an issue down there, it's a body part, just like any other body part that you have in your body. Right. Absolutely. Well, on that note, Mason, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, guys, guys, if you're listening to this, go out there and check your nuts. If you haven't already this month, please, for, for, for Mason, go squeeze your balls for Mason and for me. Um, and ladies, if you're listening to this, do th- make sure Tell your man to go squeeze his nuts. Please go to testicularcancer.org yeah. and um, get the directions if you don't know how. But do it for everybody's sake. Yep, as I like to say, check your nuts. Check your nuts. <laughs> All right, Mason. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you. Thank you, Omar. I appreciate the time. And thank you so much for listening to the Learning Man podcast. My name is Omar Cantu. I could not thank you enough for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed what you heard and would like some more of that content, we're going to be dropping new episodes every Friday. So make sure and hit that follow button wherever you listen to your podcast and write us a review because it really does help the channel. Share what topic you want to tackle next or maybe the name of a guest that you want to hear from. Thank you again for joining in this journey. It means so much to me. 